Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. I finished my library book, so I'm back to reading for the podcast, which is also a bit of pleasure. Although I have to say that these Senecan tragedies are starting to wear on me. Fortunately, we only have two left. Or do we? Okay, yes, we do only have two Roman tragedies left to cover, but the question is, did Seneca really write them? Although, I suppose if I call them Senecan tragedies, that could also mean in the style of Seneca, and that much is definitely true of the two plays we have left, including the one that we'll cover in today's episode. If you have already read Hercules on Oeta, or Hercules Oetos, if you're feeling fancy, then you might have noticed that it feels like Seneca, but it doesn't feel like Seneca at the same time. You definitely notice that this play goes on, and on, and on. It is really long. It's a good 650 lines longer than the next longest of Seneca's tragedies. It's the longest play to survive antiquity, at least in the corpus that we'll be covering for the foreseeable future. I don't know enough to compare it to what has survived antiquity in other regions of the world. It's possible there are other things that are longer, but at least when it comes to the Greco-Roman world, this is the longest. There are large sections that are lifted from other plays, so it is either plagiarized or self-plagiarized, and maybe Seneca started writing this play and someone else came along later and finished the job. This, of course, means that it's really unclear when this play was written. We saw in the last Seneca episode that his Phoenician women is very unfinished, suggesting that he died before he was able to finish writing it. It's possible that he was working on Hercules on Oeta at the same time, and someone felt that this play merited finishing and Phoenician women didn't. The play includes some traits similar to how Euripides structured his plays, but the plot is drawn from Sophocles' Women of Trachis. We know that Seneca draws on Euripides a lot, and Sophocles, eh, not so much, so who knows what that really means. These are the esoteric topics that are hotly debated among scholars. So today we have a play probably written in the first century CE, maybe by Seneca, maybe by someone else, maybe by both Seneca and someone else. It is, as you can guess by the title, about Hercules, and therefore we have a cast of familiar characters. Hercules, of course, and his wife Danaira and their son Hylus, Herc's mom Alcmena, and we also have Ioli, the princess of Ocalia, who has been captured by Hercules. Philoctetes and Lycus serve as messenger-type roles, and there's an unnamed nurse who is Danaira's confidant. Finally, there are two choruses in this play. One is made up of Aetolian women, Danaira's friends, and the other is made up of Ocalian women, Aeoli's fellow captives. The play is set primarily at Hercules' home in Trachis, although we'll see that it starts at Euboea. I am working from the Ella Isabel Harris translation. You should be able to find that one easily, and some other old translations are online. So with that, let's take a short break before seeing what takes so long to talk about in this play. The play opens with Hercules. 
he is preparing a sacrifice to Jupiter, his father, and speaks of all that he's done to make the world a safe place. All the monsters he's battled, all the labors he's completed, pointing out that he is the son of a god and maybe, just maybe, he deserves to live forever on Olympus. I mean, he's Hercules. He's awesome. Just ask him. And when I say that he goes through all of these details, I mean it. The opening speech is over 100 lines long. Everyone in this play has a tendency to speak in pages. Anyway, the chorus of Ocalian women sing a dirge about how Hercules has defeated their country. Iole joins in, describing how Hercules killed her father and her fears for her future life as his captive. They all exit, and the scene shifts to Trachis. The nurse enters. She speaks of how Dianyra is in a bit of a frenzy, preparing for the return of her husband. Dianyra herself enters and tells the nurse that Hercules has brought a woman back with him. And Dianyra is no fool. She knows what that means. Ioli is younger and prettier, so clearly Hercules has only one thing in mind, and Dianyra is having none of it. Hercules is her husband, and she'll make sure he stays that way. And she knows just how to do it. She tells the nurse of how Hercules saved her from Nessus when they were younger, and how Nessus gave her a love potion as he died. It is odd that he said never to expose it to light. Hmm. Anyway, clearly now is the time for the love potion. She'll dip a new robe in it and send it to Hercules as a welcome home gift. And she sends the nurse off to do just that. Alone, Dayanira prays for success in this endeavor. The nurse returns with the robe. Danaira calls for Lycus to take the robe to Hercules, and off he goes. The chorus of Aetolian women sing about how ambition is bad and how the simple life is best, and you know they're talking about Danaira. I will say that we are now more than 700 lines in, and we've only just finished Act 2. There are no short speeches in this play. Danaira tells the nurse that she started thinking about how Nessus said not to expose the potion to light, and she started wondering what would happen if she did, so she did an experiment, and O-M-G, it caught fire. She has to keep Hercules from putting on the garment she sent him. Helis enters with bad news. It's too late. Hercules put on the robe, and it caught fire, and, well, it's not pretty. Danaira realizes that it's all her fault for taking Nessus at his word, announces she's going to kill herself, and then does so. A lot of talking happens in between each of those plot points, about, I don't know, 300 lines worth. Did I mention how long this play is? The chorus sings about death, which makes sense given everything that is happening on stage right now. Hercules enters. He complains about how painful his death is and how it's so unfair because, do you know all the things he's done in his life? (laughs) I bet you don't. If you've forgotten, don't worry. He goes through them all, again. Alcmina enters and, okay, here's where I find this tragedy becomes almost a decent play. She does her best to comfort his son as he dies, and it's tender and sweet and heartbreaking, and it's the point in the play that you can get past how Hercules won't shut up about all of his deeds, because we get a chance to see him as a human. And I'm making a note to come back to this point, because it made me think of something. Anyway, Hylas enters and tells Hercules about how Dayanira was tricked by Nessus and how she killed herself. Hercules tells Hylas to marry Ioli, and then he plans his death, but we'll hear about that in the next act. The chorus sings about everything that Hercules did in his life and asks the gods to let this be the end of monsters in 
in the world. I mean, Hercules has killed them all, so can we just have no more? Philoctetes enters and tells the nurse about how Hercules had his funeral pyre built and how he climbed up on it and how it took a while for him to find someone willing to set it alight and how someone finally did and that's how Hercules died. Alcmena cries out in her grief, once again repeating several of Hercules' triumphs in life and you'll never guess who enters next. Okay, get out a piece of paper and write down who you think is going to enter next. I'll wait. Got your guess written down? Hercules enters. He tells his mom that it's all good. He's a god now. She can stop crying. He's never going to die. He's seen the land of the dead before, and he's not going back. Alcmena, for her part, isn't completely convinced, but she says she'd rather believe that he's a god now than believe that he's dead. The chorus sings a song in praise of the new god Hercules, and that is where the play ends. Okay, the point that I said I'd come back to, and this is something I didn't really think about until I was writing the summary of this very long play. Did I mention how long it is? Seriously, if you don't know what all Hercules did by the time this play ends, you haven't been paying attention. Anyway, I said something about how there's a pause in that repetition of Hercules' deeds when Alcmena enters, that it's the most human of scenes in this very melodramatic play. And I think that makes sense. Hercules is made up of two parts. There's his godly side, the side that he gets from his dad, the side that gives him his strength and power, and maybe the side that gives him his hubris, because let's face it, Hercules is kind of full of himself. Then there's his other side, the mortal side, the human side. That's the side that he gets from Alcmena, his mom. And we see that side come out of Hercules when Alcmena is on stage with him, at least until he gets what he's always wanted, which is to become a god himself. And about that ending, the myth says that Hercules becomes a god, but I love Alcmena's reaction. She's not sure. As far as she knows, her son has just died. So can she really trust the vision of him as a god? She doesn't say, yep, that's definitely him. It's all good. He's God now. He's not really dead. She says, I choose to believe that he's a God now. She knows that she may be wrong, but it's less painful to believe what this vision is telling her. There's a reason that spiritualism flourished after the American Civil War, after all of that death and destruction. It's less painful to believe that you can still talk to the spirit of your lost loved ones than to believe that they're gone forever. For as annoying as I find this play to be, because it is so bloody long, I love what Alcmena shows us about maternal love and grief. So what stands out to you? What does this play have to say about love? I didn't even talk about Dane Iron, that love potion. What about love and marriage or death, hubris, grief? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. You can find the link to my Patreon there too, should you feel so inclined. In the next episode, we will finish the Aeneid, book 12. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. 
And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.